to our choir members, and especially Natalie, thank you so much for using your gifts to lead us in joy-filled worship. <laughs> Natalie, every time I hear you play, I, I, can't, I remember when I first heard you play, and it was right then, but amazing. Before you and your mom, Lynn, come up to read scripture for us, this is Mother's Day, so a special time. Mom and daughter are getting to read. Uh, there are two other daughters, um, Julia and Kira, right? But they're not here. They'll be up playing or dancing another day. I have one uh, just family matter for us all here this morning as we've gathered. Um, I think you know, but I'll tell you if you don't, we have a special congregational meeting this Tuesday at 6.30. Now, 6.30 is an unusual time for us, so mark that down. Some of you will have to come straight from work, I'm sure, at 6.30 here, and we're going to be electing the next senior pastor search committee. Now, most churches don't elect those, but we do, so you need to be here. This is a very, very important uh, part of our future, I think, because our, our nominating committee and the leadership of that, Lisa Barrios, as well as Tiffany Reynoso, have worked so hard, and they and their team have put together all these videos of all the candidates, and I've watched them all, so I know some of you better than I knew you before, and you can watch them. It only takes you about 30 minutes to get through them all if you're good at using the internet, you know, so, but you can do it. It's at, uh, go on to lakeav.org backslash nomcom. So um, there's a printed brochure that's available to you out there in the racks all across our campus, but I hope you'll go online to see that. And especially, I pray that you will be in prayer. We've even put together a daily prayer guide for you, and I think the worship folder tells you how you can find that, and it will also be in the... Uh, in the lobby, if you look in those places that are there. So 6.30 this coming Tuesday, I'll see you then. Now, uh, Lynn and Natalie, will you come and lead us in the reading of the Word of God? Well, I am Lynn Boberg. This is my daughter, Natalie. And we have been as a family at Lake Avenue for 16 years. I've served in children's church and VBS as a teacher, sorting pagers, <laughs> and doing various things to get the lessons ready and hosted a small group in our home for years. I've been a part of worship and arts here at Lake for the last five years. And last summer, went on a missions trip to Paris to share the arts there. Our scripture reading today is from John 4, 39 through 54. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. After the two days in Samaria, Jesus left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived at Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. 
Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you, Hans. So as I get, come to the beginning of the message, I want to introduce someone to you whom I think you already know. This is Sandra Cisip. Shepherd, I've got to get a whole name there together, Sandra. I think the entire time I have been here, you have led us in worship again and again. Have you been here all 12 years that I've been here, Sandra? So uh, you've been such a blessing to us, including this morning, and thank you for doing this with me. Because even though we've been doing this 12 years, just over a year ago, I didn't know if you'd ever be able to do this again. I sometimes call Sandra one of our miracle members here at Lake Avenue Church. <laughs> Because just over a year ago, I think it was in March, you were at the very top of my prayer list and the prognosis wasn't very good. So first, Sandra, will you just tell us what was happening physically that brought you up here today? Good morning. Um, Yes, so um, it was a Friday night. I stayed home from work that day because I had a headache that I couldn't shake for about a week. I went to see my doctor the day before, and she said, let's do an MRI and see what's going on. So that was scheduled for Saturday. That Friday night, I passed out at home. When I woke up, my family was around me, and I specifically remember saying, what happened? They couldn't understand what I was saying. It was garbled. Shortly thereafter, I started throwing up, so my husband took me to the ER. And when we got there, they did a CT scan of my brain. When the ER doctor came back, she said, I thought she was going to say, oh, you have a sinus infection or nothing too exciting. She came back and said, well, you experience a uh, subarachnoid hemorrhage uh, due to a brain aneurysm, and you're bleeding in your brain, and we need to do emergency surgery immediately, as in like right now. So um, I was prepped for surgery, and uh, on my way to the operating room, I met my surgeon for the first time. He explained the procedure, said, I've done this you know, many times before, here's what we're gonna do, and off I went to surgery. So he performed a procedure called endovascular coiling, where he put eight platinum coils in my brain um, to put uh, coils in the aneurysm, so it's like a pothole that needed to be filled, except it's in my brain and it's platinum. Um, So after he did that, um, I was in the hospital for about two weeks, uh, mostly in the um, uh, ICU. 
recovering and worrying about like vasospasms and secondary strokes and stuff. But um, thankfully, um, I survived it. And six months later, because we had so much fun the first time, we did it again to just check to make sure everything was good. However, my aneurysm recanalized and grew a little bit more. So they had to put two more platinum stents. So for counting, we're on 10 platinum pieces in my brain. But um, for by the grace of God, um, I'm, I'm OK. I'm here. <laughs> so, so Sandra, this is Mother's Day. And you have two, two of the greatest children. I mean, all our children are great. But, but Matthew and Ava, I got the greatest hugs from them. And I think Scott is here. This is a very different Mother's Day because of what happened. So it's obvious you had really wonderful doctors good medical procedures, and yet the question that I just have for you today is, where do you see God's hand in this? Did you feel like you experienced any of Jesus' healing power in the midst of this situation? After my first procedure, uh, somebody told me the statistics of um, a ruptured aneurysm. So the statistics are the first one-third of the people that experience it die. And that was very real in my life because both my parents died from it. Um, the second one-third experienced some kind of neurological deficit. So the statistics were not in my favor. However, I am a child of the God of miracles. And I belong to the last one-third where I am, for by the grace of God, just completely healed. And I'm here, back to normal, back to work, back serving here. And I'm so grateful for everyone that prayed for me and with me during that time. Uh, well, thank you so much, Sandra. Thank, and we, you're here singing and, and just with your smile radiating. I thank God for you and thank you for sharing with us today. God bless you. Have a happy Mother's Day, too. So um, from our scripture reading and from me asking uh, Sandra these questions, you know what this sermon's about, don't you? It's, it's about faith and healing. So let me just tell you from the outside, any time, outset, um, any time a pastor deals with faith and healing in a church, there are always challenges to this. So I'll tell you what some of them are, even from the text that we come to today. Uh, the first one is this, that, that Jesus healed people. So we know that the Jesus we follow can, but he did not heal everyone. You have to make note of that. I mean, in last week's sermon, it was a powerful sermon, Jeff, when you preached, he preached about this Jesus coming to this pool at Bethesda, and there he saw the man who was infirm. Do you remember? But that text tells us that he wasn't the only one there. It tells us that a great number of disabled people were lying there by the pool. Jesus healed only one of them. So sometimes people are upset by that, but that's the way it is. And I, so I don't think we should ever be surprised when not everyone that we pray for in a church experiences the kind of healing that Sandra has given testimony to. But, but I do know that sometimes that leads to people being frustrated. How can I get God to do for me what he did for somebody else? That brings me to the second thing I want to say to you about this. Healing miracles are wonderful. I mean, you applauded, right? They are wonderful. But physical healings are temporary. As far as I know, none of the people that Jesus healed over 2,000 years ago are still alive. Any, any of you here uh, today? 
Uh, therefore, as Jesus forcefully says in this text and in others that we're going to be seeing later, miracles of physical healing are only signs. They point to something much bigger. They're temporary acts that point us to something much, much better. And what it really points us to is that the Jesus that we follow has the power to heal and that this divine healing someday will be complete. And when it's complete, it will be eternal. Therefore, in a church like ours, I, I think we have to, to be on our guard against something that is clear was happening back in Jesus' day in, in that people only wanted the temporary sign more than they wanted Jesus. So easy for that thing we want to have to become our idol as they really seem to have been uh, when Jesus was dealing with the people in his home area there in our text today. And the third thing I want to say to you is this. That's the reason I wanted to ask Sandra the second question. Uh, God sometimes heals through supernatural means. I believe that in my whole heart. But he also heals through other natural ones. And sometimes, I think when a person experiences healing, it involves both of those. God breaking in and doing something supernatural, but also the use of natural means, as I think was the case with Sandra and one of the reasons I wanted you to come and share with us. So you see, if you hold, I hope you're with me here, right, to a biblical view of creation, then you believe that everything that is made in this world was created by our Father. Therefore, the medicines, when they're used properly, and it was good when he made it, when the medicines that we discover are used properly, that's still using a part of what God has created. It's a part of his healing. And medical procedures are also a part of God's truth. And he's given us as people made in his image the, the ability to do this medical research to be able to discover how procedures might actually lead to healing. But ultimately, all of that comes from God. So when anybody is healed in any way and for any reason, I think it should lead us to give thanksgiving and praise to God. Now. Just wanted you to see how I see healing in the life of the church. From all of this, here at Lake Avenue Church, we pray for God's miraculous healing. When people come to us who are sick or infirm, and I'll tell you, we have a lot of stories that I could have brought up here today to talk to you about God's supernatural healing power. As we pray, we look to a number of texts, but especially to James chapter five, verses 14 and following, that teaches us that God's supernatural healing power is often evidenced within the prayer life of your local church family. Do you know that? It tells us that when there's somebody in your church who is sick or infirm, that what should happen is you should call the spiritual leadership of your church, that spiritual leadership should anoint with oil, lay on hands, pray for your healing. We do that here. And uh, you're, you're, we're gonna give you an opportunity to come and have us just pray for you briefly at the end of my message today, for yourself or perhaps for somebody else like the man we see in our message today. At the same time, we pray that God will give you good doctors <laughs> and we thank God for good medical research that lead to new healing processes and medicines and many of you are involved in that kind of work. When any person gives, gets well, we give praise to God, amen, amen. I, I know I sense that in your heart that you do. So with that in mind, let's look at this story of Jesus healing a little child. 
Uh, now we've got to see the setting because really to get this you have to get back to earlier in John chapter 4 in which we are going to see what I call genuine faith that, found, that is found among very unexpected people. <laughs> genuine faith in Jesus that makes a difference in lives that are found among very unexpected people. So this healing message that we come to when we come to the end of John chapter 4 takes place just after Jesus had spent uh, two full days in Samaria. Now, if you know anything about it, you may not. Samaria was a place and a people who came from a completely different ethnicity than the Jewish people, and they held a very different religion from the Jewish people. Jewish people and Samaritans, because of those and other reasons, I'll tell you, they avoided one another like a plague. Jewish people would even go through Samaria. But Jesus was different, as he always is. Jesus intentionally went through Samaria. He could have gone another way. And he, he met this woman, the Samaritan woman, who ends up being saved because of her faith. I'll tell you, that, was, that woman was a person that his whole culture, all of his people would have said, you shouldn't even talk to any woman out there in the world because Jewish rabbis weren't supposed to do that. But you especially shouldn't talk to a Samaritan woman, and especially not a Samaritan woman like this one, who had been married five times, and at this point was living with her sixth man. So, so I hope you kind of see what's going on here. And, but Jesus did, and her life was healed. Her life was turned around by faith in Jesus. And it, it led to her doing what, what we see so often when a person's life is actually rescued. I saw it with my father when he first came to faith. She went out and told everybody about Jesus. And I'll tell you just through her testimony, almost the whole city was saved. You can see verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town, it was the town of Sychar, believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. So see, here's the thing I want you to see. I've tried to show you this throughout the New Testament. Jesus personally stepped into the lives of people who usually were polarized from one another would have nothing to do with one another. So what, in what ways were they different? Uh, different in gender. A man wasn't supposed to speak to a woman in their culture, especially a woman like this one. Two, a difference in ethnicity. A Jew wasn't supposed to spend any time with a Samaritan, especially to enter into a meaningful conversation. And three, a different religion. A faithful Jew, especially in Galilee, especially a rabbi, should not be out there respectfully dialoguing with a person from another religion. But what we see Jesus doing here is healing, bringing together all this brokenness in this world that he loves, and he says, I'm not going to leave it, leave it that way. When I'm done, there's going to be one kingdom of God and one family of God, and it's going to be made up of every tribe and every language. Have you ever heard me preach this before? Every language and every nation, we see Jesus doing this. He steps in to all of that brokenness that needs to be healed and brought together to bring good news of hope and salvation. So after this remarkable work in Samaria, we come to John 4:42, and he goes back into his hometown hometown area, and into uh, Galilee. Now, in Samaria, you heard it, 
All these people came to faith in Jesus without any signs, without any miracles taking place. The people there just simply believed the word that was spoken to them. So look again at verse 42. These new believers said to the woman at the well, we no longer believe because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. See, it didn't take any big signs. They, they just heard it, knew it, they came to believe. So, in verse 42, Jesus returned to being with his own people in Galilee. You would expect, man, if he can do this among Samaritans, he'll really be able to connect with his own people. And earlier on in chapter two, he had been among his own people and he'd done miracles, but it reports this, Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He knew what was in each person. <laughs> now, so he comes in to the, the encounter. I've called it a need, followed by a shock, followed by a promise. So you can read it. He was welcomed back into his, by his Galilean home folks, but I'll tell you it was only a certain kind of welcome. I mean, I think they were proud of what he could do. Sadly, they welcomed him only because he had been doing all these miracles and they wanted more of them. This continues on the Gospel of John. We'll come back to it another time. You know what I thought of when I thought about this? What, what this is like, and we still have it in our, I didn't want to pick out any of the ones in our time. This is like the old P.T. Barnum shows. That that recent movie, you know, The, the Greatest Showman, I'll put it, if you forgot, just I'll put it up here. There was Huge Jackman who, uh, who starred in this thing. P.T. Barnum had all these things with, the, uh, uh, with his circus and other things he did. It just drew thrill seekers all over the place, just filled in his tents. And I'm just telling you, they just wanted to see weird and strange things. What you read happened in today's passage is that the people didn't really want their lives to be changed. They didn't want to follow Jesus. They only wanted Jesus to do some stupendous signs for them. But there's another family over here that comes in. And you need to know it was probably a non-Jewish family that came into the presence of Jesus. So in verse 47, you heard it as, as Lynn and Natalie were reading for us. Uh, the family had come seeking Jesus' help. It was the father who came. I know it's Mother's Day, but we're going to get back to mom in just a minute. <laughs> he had had to travel 15 to 20 miles from Capernaum to Cana in order to get there. But when he comes in, he said he begged Jesus to come and heal his, and the, and the phrase really is, little boy. Heal my little boy who was close to death. Now, were you listening as the Bobergs were reading? Did you notice Jesus' response did you think it was callous or inappropriate? You should have, because Jesus, as he says that, well, my little boy is sick, Jesus, though he's talking with him, he opens this up and talks to everybody, he puts it into the plural, to the entire assembly. He said, you people, unless you see signs and wonders, you will never believe. What do you think of that? You go up and Jesus says, my little boy is about to die. You people, unless you, does that not seem callous to you? Are you with me here? Yeah, yes, yeah. so it should seem callous to you. Uh, Jesus made statements that were almost shocking 
Now take away the word almost. They were shocking. Why did the loving Jesus, whom we saw dialoguing so respectfully with the woman in Samaria, why did he say something like that? That brings me back to a point that I made at the very beginning of my sermon to you today, the challenge of speaking about faith and healing in this world. I'll tell you, in Jesus' day, just like in ours, let's just, I want you to see it, people intuitively think that it's often these temporary things, these things called sign, that those are the really important and lasting things. Uh, often people only show up at church because they want something like that, material things. Uh, those are important things because we've got to live and sickness is really bad, but Jesus insisted that those things we want, a, a healing or, or financial precision, all these temporary things, he insisted that those aren't the most important things. That, that even a healing points, is a sign. And a sign always points to something greater than itself. And he wanted us to have eyes to really long for what the sign pointed toward, toward him, to put him and to put his father, to put God first in our lives. So, I'll just tell you, I, I've got to put ourselves, myself into all of our shoes. When we're in pain, or when people that we love, especially our children, are hurting, it's almost impossible for us to imagine that there's something more important than that. Am I, are you with me here? Those things, because they're so pressing. What happens is this in our lives. We know that God would have us put him first and trust him. We, we know we are to love him more than loving, even healing or anything else. But sometimes still back in our minds, knowing that Jesus can heal, we often find ourselves still putting that healing first. You gotta do that or I'm not even gonna follow you anymore. Instead of putting Jesus first, we want what he can do for us more than we want him. Because I'll tell you what, at that moment, and I've been there, I just want you to know, you know I've been there in my life, Chris and I both. In that moment, it's just hard to imagine anything more important than that. And just as happened when Jesus lived in Galilee, when Jesus doesn't do right now what we think he should do, we grow angry and sometimes we just leave the church. How many times has this happened? So what we need is to see differently. So what we need is what, any of you remember back in the 80s, Stephen Covey and his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and he talked about paradigm shifts. I've shown you this picture once before, we'll see how great your memories are, it probably takes you back 10 years. <laughs> in that he tried to help us to see how we need to learn to see the world differently. I'm gonna put a picture up here. What do you see, an old woman or a young woman? Old woman or a young woman? Research shows us that what you first saw when it went up there is what you continue to see, and it's hard for you to see something different. And I'll tell you, that's true of our lives. What we first get locked into, it's hard for us to see something different. There's, how many of you see an old woman? No, you don't want to vote, do you? I can already see this. You're not, how many of you see a, a, a younger, sophisticated, though kind of old dressed one? Maybe the second picture will help you to see it a little better. It's both. I heard a few awes out there. As you look. See, you've woken up. This is so good. I'll have to show that to you again. See, Jesus knew, he knew this, that in a world, material world, in which it's natural for us to see material things, temporary things, as being the things that are truly real and that are truly important, 
He has to speak some shocking words to try to make us see more than we are now seeing. He had to do it with his mother back at the wedding in Cana. Remember the shocking word he spoke to her there so that she could see he had come to do more than just something like this. The fact is that Jesus being able to heal is really just a sign pointing toward what Jesus is going to do when he's finished his work. At that point, he first had to die for all those causes of sickness. Then he had to be resurrected to demonstrate his power over the things in this world. Then he would have to give his Holy Spirit who could do his work and the church in which the Holy Spirit is at work. He came to heal all those things that are broken that we've seen here. Those matters of gender, ethnicity, politics, all those things, and physically too. Sometimes he breaks in and does it in the here and now, but that here and now is still going to be temporary. Which brings me now to the personal part, this faith in Jesus that ultimately does lead to healing. All right. Did you notice the father was not deterred by the way Jesus spoke to the crowd? Do you know why I think it was? Because he knew deep in his heart he had not come there seeking a thrill. He was a man who'd come in desperate need. Let me tell you about him. He's called a royal official, which means he was a king's man. He was one of the high-ranking officials in a man named King Herod's service. King Herod, the one who'd beheaded John the Baptist, so he's not really a very godly person. Neither King Herod nor most of his officials were Jewish, either in ethnicity or religiously. The more devout people in Galilee, where Jesus came from, didn't want those Herodians in their country. So the question he would have to ask is, I have this desperate need, but how will this Galilean rabbi deal with me? Now, notice his attitude. Notice his attitude. He, he didn't come in and say, hey, Jesus, do you know who I am? <laughs> I am a king's man. I am a high official. You'd better listen to me and do what I say. No, he didn't say that. He said, sir, come to my home before my child dies. Can you feel the emotion in his words? Have you ever known a child who was seriously sick? Have you ever had one? I'll tell you, I can think of no pain that is greater in the life of any human being than a child who's about to die. And especially when it's your own child. This is Mother's Day. Uh, you know, I work on sermons together with other parts of our staff. <laughs> so on Tuesday, we were talking about this, and our director of counseling, Sega Work, who said, you know, people in church are going to wonder where the mother was with this man traveled to Jesus seeking his help. Uh, did you think that? It's Mother's Day, she must know, and I started thinking about this. All of us agreed, mom was at home caring for her sick boy. I had a great mom when I was sick. I'll tell you, her heart broke. Sometimes I was pretty sick. I watched Chris as she mothered our children and the tremendous pain in her heart when, when our children were sick. I've seen so many of you 
You've come seeking prayer at times when your children are sick. I've seen so many of you and talked with some, prayed with so many of you, even when you were pregnant and, 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 that, and that child inside of you was in distress. I mean, I, I, I see this. So this is one of the wonderful things about healthy mothering, where that is there, this care for your children who are sick. It is a high calling. Is it the highest calling? It may be. Now, I gotta tell you this too. It's not meant to be done only by mothers. Just mark this down, that when you have the opportunity, and Jeff mentioned about the challenge of single parenting, but whether it's a father or mother, I'll tell you, it, the father should be involved in this thing, and I, th this is how I read this. I, I have a, I imagine with that son being so sick that this mother comes up to her husband, though he was a king's man, a royal official there in the home, he probably wasn't so, so much there. And she said, you know, our, our little boy here is really sick. Haven't you heard that that Galilean healer is coming back into our area 15? Now you go there. And you get that man and you bring him back here and don't come back until he comes. Uh, don't you think that happened? <laughs> That's what I think happened as well. That's, that is good mothering, I, I, I want you to know right now. So Jesus sees this man, I love it, as being a real human, not just a Herodian. He sees his need. He doesn't even speak to him like a royal official. He speaks to him as a father. What Jesus did, and I think I've written this because I long for this to happen here at Lake so much. Jesus did what I pray we will all learn to do. He didn't just see the surface of the person. The fact that this was a king's man, a Gentile, an outsider, every bit as much as that Samaritan woman had been earlier. No, Jesus saw him. He saw his true heart. He saw his need. He saw his condition. And Jesus just said, go. Your son will live. <laughs> now think about this man, he, he just trusted Jesus. He didn't insist on seeing the miracle. He didn't complain that Jesus wasn't gonna go with him. He simply did what Jesus said. Verse 50, the man took Jesus at his word. That's what I want us to learn to do. And then he departed. It was a 16 to 20 mile journey. He couldn't call Uber or Lyft. Can you imagine the trip? I imagine a lot of us wondering if, if I'd been him, was that real? <laughs> I just left there, that, that guy just said, go home, he's healed. Should I trust that Galilean? Why on earth? And mostly, what is my wife gonna say when I show up without him being with me? That's how I think it's going on. This father couldn't get home until the next day. I'm sure that as he traveled, he prayed the prayer that you find so in, in Scripture, like in Mark chapter 9. It's a prayer I so often pray. Lord, I believe, I believe. Help my unbelief. But whatever doubts or fears he may have wrestled with, he trusted Jesus, and he went home. And you already know the end of the story. May I show it to you again, verses 51 to 53. While he was still on his way home, his servants met him with the news so the servants were the first to actually get to do that his little boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, well, it was yesterday at one in the afternoon. The fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his entire household, and household mean everybody, including all of his servants, 
believed. And verse 54 just adds, this was the second sign that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So it was a sign that Jesus has come into this world to heal. The sign points to really big healing, especially in the context I tried to show you, in the broadest sense. All that brokenness. On one side, though, physically, sickness and pain will not be there anymore when Jesus comes and finishes his work. Jesus had come to to bring together all that brokenness, Samaritan and Jews, the political Galileans against the Herodians, all these other kinds of things. He'd come to bring these things back together, but he'd also come to heal, physically heal, and I believe mentally heal, racially heal, gender healing, political healing, relational healing. It's all right here in the story. Jesus has come to make all things right, to bring together all that is broken, So I'm telling you, when there is something as painful as a child being near death, Jesus cares, and you and I need to bring that matter to him in prayer. Now, he's going to want to do something more than simply a mere sign that's not going to last, a temporary healing. But I think you and I need to learn to ask Jesus to heal, don't you think? And when we as Christians ask God, we pray the way Jesus taught us to pray, He prayed specifically, Father, this is what I need you to do. Take this cup from me. But then, always this thing, Father, there is more that you are doing. And for us, this, this sign is pointing to something more that you see that I cannot see. Your will be done, Father, not mine. So, bringing it home to us, here at Lake Avenue Church, we should and we do pray for healing. We pray specifically for healing. Sandra, I was praying specifically <laughs> for, for your healing. And when we do, we, we know we don't have to beg God to care or notice something that you haven't noticed this, have you, Father, or to do what's best. We already know he loves us more than we could ever love anybody. So even though complete healing will not come until Jesus returns, I want to tell you that Jesus does still heal in the here and now. Do you believe that? And God's word says that sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. And then again, according to James 5 and other places, that healing so often happens when the prayer comes within the context of your local church. So because of that, at the end right now, I want to give you a chance to have your church pray for you right now. So I've wondered if... if if you've come to church today longing for some kind of healing, it might be for yourself. It might be for a family member like happened with this man. It might be for somebody who's here or in your home. It might be for somebody far away. You see, praying for the, the healing of a person, this, Jesus could heal 15 to 20 miles away. It, it wouldn't have mattered if it had been 15,000 miles away. When you believe in the kind of Jesus we believe in, those spatial differences that affect us, they don't, they don't affect him. He has the ability to do that. So the thing I want you to do, we're gonna take a few moments. I'd like to ask our pastors and some of our ministry council, some of our prayer leaders to come and take your places in the worship center so you can look and see where they come. Uh, the longing that you may have brought here today is for physical healing or emotional or mental, 
One of the biggest destructive effects of sin in our world is what it's done in terms of uh, mental health might be relational. This sign points to the fact that Jesus can heal in all of those. Jesus cares, he might want to do something more in the situation than simply to heal right now. And a part of genuine faith is to bring the request to God and then learn to wait in faith. But, but you've got to learn to ask him to. You, you see what I'm saying here? Sometimes you have to wait as his father did, taking that 15 to 20 mile journey. But I'll tell you, you've got to ask as he did as well. So what I want you to do is to be willing as the music begins to step out and find the courage to do this simply to come to prayer. Can you see up in the balcony? We should have some folks up there. My eyes aren't quite good enough to see it, but, uh, but you can look for them there. And all around you, you see here in the front of the worship center. As the music plays, step up to one of the people who's here just briefly, maybe as briefly as the, uh, as the king's man did. Just say, this is the issue and we'll pray to, and, and we'll anoint you with oil. Um, and my prayer is that all of us in some ways may experience in new ways in these moments the presence of Jesus, the love of Jesus when we're in those hard times, and the healing power of the one we call our Lord Jesus. So as the music begins, come, come as God leads you. Don't, don't wait. Come.